0: 1 Timothy chapter 4 is our text. 1 Timothy 4. We're making our way through this portion of the New Testament that explains how to build the church of Jesus Christ. Again, Timothy is a pastor. The church is in Ephesus. That is present-day Turkey. Timothy is a young pastor, new To the ministry, but also um, in one sense, new to life. He's a young man and he's being forced to learn the ropes very quickly. Uh, As I was uh, recovering this week, it dawned on me that at this point, we all know what false positive means, don't we? We know what false positive means, we know what false negative means as a result of all that uh, testing that we've been doing over the last three years because of this pandemic that doesn't seem to go away. And in these past three years, we've all shared, um, I would assume many times now, um, the experience of being tested uh, for the virus and then wondering whether or not it was accurate. Did we do it right? Are the results right? I know uh, that this week ourselves, we had to buy several kits uh, as we got tested over and over again and several times it was false negative and we looked at ourselves and said there's no way we are not sick <laughs> and eventually it showed up as positive but this morning I want to talk about uh, the concept of a uh, false positive I want to take this idea of false positive and apply it to church and to doctrine but with a twist Uh, this is what I mean. Uh, There are certain ways of thinking that appear appear to be very positive. Certain ways of of thinking that we have acquired. uh, Ideas that make us uh, feel like, well, this is right. This is good. Um, uh, Ideas that make a great deal of human sense and jive with our sensibilities. Uh, These are ideas that resonate with maybe how we grew up thinking and, and Ideas that make us comfortable with ourselves and with the world around us. We think they're very positive. On human terms, these ideas are very logical. These are ways of thinking that make you feel like you're sitting outside on your back porch on a late summer night. It's just nice. Comfortable ideas. Chicken soup for the soul, if you will. And yet, these very ideas that seem so proper are false they're wrong they are false positives every generation comes up with ideas on how to approach God or how to appease God or how to become more spiritual they're all different and yet they're all very much the same and at times these ideas do filter into the church of Christ and they become part of the canon of beliefs of the church, despite the fact that they are not true, despite the fact that they are not in the scriptures. They sound very positive, but they are very false. This morning, our text addresses the certainty that there will be false positives in the church, and how we need to be on guard. The text deals with the certainty that there are going to be false teachers who filter into the church. And we need to be on guard. So let's take a look at the text. I'll read it to you just five verses, beginning of verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods, that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Let me pray. Our Lord and Savior, we do ask that you would enlighten our minds, that we would comprehend this portion of the scriptural text. Uh, We pray, Lord, that not only we we comprehend it, but we would cherish it, and Lord, give us the ability to apply it. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would keep me from error. And I ask, O God, that together we may glorify you through this message. Amen. I want to make my first point there based on that very first verse. There's just uh, four points this morning. And the first one is this. The certainty of deceitful teachers. We can be sure that there will be deceitful teachers that infiltrate the church. It happened back in the days of the Apostle Paul. Certainly it happens today. In fact, we are more privy to it because of the media. We could see so many false teachers. In fact, as we sit here this morning, I assure you there are many, many, many other people watching many of these false teachers on the television screen. It's amazing how they abound. And the Bible does warn that this would be. But the Bible here also warns us about people who today profess faith and allegiance to God and tomorrow, they abandoned Christ wholeheartedly. Paul speaks, you'll remember, of, of Demas and Hymenaeus. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 19, you'll recall how Paul said that there were some men who were shipwrecking their faith. And of course, the classic example is Judas Iscariot, who spent three and a half years side by side ministering with Christ, even doing miracles in the name of Christ and yet was not in Christ, and abandoned Christ. But it's not just the Old Testament that speaks about this sort of behavior. The Old Testament does as well. Consider, for example, 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 11. And there we see that it was King Saul who turned his back from following God and refused to obey God. There's nothing new under the sun. People who profess allegiance today and abandon the Lord tomorrow. Here at verse 1, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says, referring to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit expressly says, and where does the Holy Spirit expressly say this? Well, in the Bible. And so this verse here not only tells us that the Bible is inspired, it's the words of the Holy Spirit, But it tells us as well that we can be certain that there will be those who will abandon the Lord. We call that apostasy. Apostasy is the rejection of the Christian faith, the rejection of Christ, after having a time of professed Christ, a time of which they professed to believe and follow after Christ, but now they have abandoned him. And those who commit apostasy are referred to as apostates. Here, verse 1 says, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times. Um, Don't get thrown off by that phrase. Uh, In later times, it's simply referring to the time after the resurrection of Christ. These are the latter times. It has been ever since Jesus Christ resurrected and ascended. And it says here that people will withdraw themselves from their positions as confessors of Christ as Lord and Savior. As you can imagine, as a pastor, I've seen much too much of it. People who now on occasion I run into in town, usually at the grocery store, usually in Nagoya Ohio. I spend a lot of time there. That always gets a chuckle, you know? <laughs> and it's unfortunate as I sit and talk or stand and talk to them to discover how they've abandoned the Lord and now their lives just begin to deteriorate as well. 1 John 2.19 says, They went out from us, but were, they were not of us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be plain that they are, that they all are not of us. And why did they apostatize? Well, look there at verse 1. It says, quote, They devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and demonic teachings. It's rather alarming. Apostasy is certain to happen. For as long as there are deceitful teachers and teachings, we will have people who will abandon their profession of faith. Here it says that they have abandoned the Lord because of the teachings of demons, demons who disguise themselves as angels of light, deceitful spirits who promote demonic teachings. One writer put it this way, demons energize false religions. Behind every false religion are demonic forces. Behind every religious practice that is not biblical Are demonic forces sometimes these people who are teaching these things look very pious in fact usually they do some of them look very honorable they look like they should be honored some of them are very intellectual most of the time they're just plain old charismatic very attractive people men and women who formulate their own doctrines or they take the scriptures and twist and turn what the Bible says to their advantage uh, usually their lies contain a good deal of truth because in order for a lie to be credible there needs to be a considerable amount of truth in it but it's still not true it's twisted and, and what they try to do is persuade and often succeed and deceiving masses of people to abandon their true faith in Christ. In today's American church, that is happening especially among 20-something-year-olds, especially males, and especially white males. But they're not alone, who are becoming apostates. And the reason for their willing apostasy is because they never truly knew the truth. That is to say, they never truly believed the truth. It was something to consider. It was palatable. It was something that they can take and consider and, and run through their minds, but they never embraced with saving faith the truth of Christ. And now... Demonic teachings fill their ears, and they abandon the faith. Take a look at the character of these deceitful teachers. Verse 2 tells us, it says, Through the insincerity of liars, demons use liars to promote lies. Uh, Literally there it reads, through people who, quote, speak falsely through hypocrisy speak falsely through hypocrisy. In other words, they're hypocritical. They're two-faced. And that is to say they know better. They are quite aware that what they're saying is not true, yet they very deliberately forsake the truth for their personal advantage. They're willing to speak things that are not true, willingly for their own advantage. What advantage? Well, Some of them simply want to promote their own version of a religion. Uh, Some of them want to sell books. Uh, Some want to become recognized and famous. Uh, Some want to bolster their own ego by promoting their own convictions. Something new, something novel, something you need to follow me for. But what I find is that many simply just want to promote evil because it's contrary to God. That's their agenda, to go against God. I Remember a young man who uh, became a nihilist. Adolf Hitler became his hero. And it's not that he didn't see the evils of Adolf Hitler. It's that he wanted to promote and believe in something that was against God. Period. If it was contrary to Christ, he was there. And he found that in his case, nihilism and Adolf Hitler would be the means to oppose the Christian faith. And he sought to become a superhuman, as nihilism teaches. And to my knowledge, he's still in that quest to become a superhuman Hmm. against the teachings of the scriptures. Now, he did not infiltrate the church and try to teach in the church these false doctrines. But my point here is simply that he wanted to be a promoter of what is against the word of God. And these teachers here, going back to the text, that they are able to do what they are doing. They're able to sleep at night because look at what it says. Verse two, their consciences are seared as with a hot red red branding iron, a seared conscience. Uh, Back in the days when children played outside, my uncle, as a little boy, was playing, as he often did, with the next-door neighbor. And, And they decided that morning that they were going to play cowboys. Not cowboys and Indians, but cowboys and cows. And it fell on my uncle that morning that he would be the cow and his neighbor would be the rancher. And this young neighbor boy took his role seriously and he prepared a red hot butter knife. And when my uncle wasn't watching, he branded the cow. And I'm told that you could hear my uncle move from the other side of the square. And my uncle grew up with that scar on his leg. Thick skin, no longer sensitive. It was seared. A, A seared conscience is just that, an insensitive conscience, hard to the touch, unaffected by what is right and what is wrong. These false teachers are able to teach things that are contrary to the Bible as if they were true, as if they were positive because they have no conscience that works. A seared conscience. My friends, keep in mind that when personal gain is more important than truth, we render our consciences useless. When your personal gain is more important than the truth, your conscience becomes useless. And when right and wrong no longer matter, we become tools of demonic powers. It's a very difficult and dangerous place to be. These false teachers are instruments of evil. Evil being waged against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here at verse 3, we are given two examples of such teachings. Two examples. The first one is, look at verse 3. They forbid marriage, overlooking the fact that marriage is created by God. They say that it is more holy for you to live a life as a single. Now, Paul does explain in 1 Corinthians 7 that there are advantages to singlehood in terms of serving God. That if you are single, you can go and come and serve wherever it's needed. However, if you have a family, if you're married, there are other considerations. But that is not a matter of whether or not you're holier. It's a matter of whether or not you are available. What these people were teaching is that it would be holier to live a single life. Keep in mind, my friends, that marriage is God-created. It is the God-intended norm. It is not the abnormal, and it's not for everyone, but it certainly is not sinful. They also said that besides forbidding marriage, they required abstinence from certain foods for higher or more spiritual living. I will refrain from these foods in order to be more spiritual. I will refrain from these foods in order to be more holy. The scriptures do not say that at all. But it sounds pretty positive, doesn't it? Oh, what discipline. Oh, what self-control. You must be holier. Where did these ideas come from? We can't say for sure, but I do find it interesting that back in the days of, of Timothy and Paul during the second century, there was a Jewish sect called the Essenes. And the Essenes had some very strange separatistic ideas. Uh, They were a a Jewish sect, but very monkish. They would separate from society. They were lonely desert dwellers who avoided society, who avoided marriage as a means of piety. They would forbid marriage and certain foods as well in order to say, look, we are being more godly. Well, the Essenes did do one thing right. They are the ones who preserved the Dead Sea Scrolls, which has helped us in our understanding or translating of the scriptures tremendously. They got that right. But the rest, they were way off. There's also, during that same age, the Gnostics, who I think you know something about at this point. They, too, early on infiltrated the church. And what the Gnostics did is teach that that matter is evil. Only thing, the only thing that matters really, the only thing that is good and important is what is spiritual. And so they would teach that physical pleasure is a sin. Therefore, marriage is not necessary. Abstain from these foods. They believe that holiness requires asceticism, a plain austere self-denying life now granted the Christian life does require discipline correct the Christian life does require that at times I have to say no to my fleshly desires however the Christian life is not a matter of what you do and don't do the Christian life begins with who you are in Jesus Christ obedience is subject to that one episode in your life in which he saves your soul, he regenerates you and calls you to live and seek after him. These, my friends, what these people were teaching were false positives. Uh, To many, these looked like great and essential spiritual truths. Um, They made human sense, but they were not true. Uh, In the apostolic canons, we read that in every generation, men try to be stricter than God. It's true. God, you're not strict enough, I'm going to be stricter. And and what they're trying to do is find freedom with man-made restrictions, which are actually more binding. They do not free us. Uh, as if God's rules were not enough, correct? And here, in my opinion, is the irony. The irony is that many of these people then, but now as well, follow these demonically infused teachings. And they think that by following these teachings, they're going to become closer to God or more spiritual, and instead they end up abandoning the Lord. They think that this is going to draw them closer to God. Instead, it draws them further and further away from their Savior. I recall one professing Christian man in our midst who insisted that that it was a sin to play sports. And he gave me a book for me to read and prove it to me. Of course, this is while I was on my way out to go coach my soccer team. And this book was not written by some, some, some cultish group playing tambourines at the airport. No, it was written by a Christian fundamentalist group. A group that adds laws to laws to laws to laws. Rules upon rules upon rules. And I'm not saying that there are no laws for the Christian life. You know there are. But my friends, we do not need to add to the laws of God. We simply need to obey the laws that are there. Uh, This is a legalistic group who who says that you are saved by grace, but if you want to remain saved, you have to keep doing this, 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 and that. And this man had all kinds of man-made rules. And at the end, he destroyed his marriage, he abandoned the faith, and he literally ruined his children. He shipwrecked his own faith. If you take a look there, verse three, it says, "Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food, from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth." Foods God created are to be gratefully received. Look, it says. By those who believe and know the truth. Your defense against demonic lies is listed right there. Do you see it? Your defense against demonic teachings, false positives, is one, belief in the clear truth, and number two, knowledge of the Bible. Belief in the clear truth. In other words, be certain of what you believe. Have confidence in what the scripture says. And of course, knowledge of the Bible. And indeed, the truth is what's going to set you free. Finally, my friends, verses 4 and 5 there, you see what the Bible does so well for us. The Bible teaches us truth. It reprimands us when we are Steering away or veering away from the truth. It corrects us and says, This is where you need to be, and it trains us up in righteousness. Here in verses 4 and 5, the scriptures are correcting us in case we may be falling prey to some of these false positives. Here's the truth against deceitful teachings everything created by God is good. And we know that to be the case. When God created, what did he say? Five times over in Genesis 1. It is good. It is good. And we're not surprised there because how can it be anything less than good if it's created by a perfectly good God? But I believe that this verse here is referring to something more specific. It's not talking about everything in terms of all creation. I believe the context tells us that it's speaking about food. Everything created by God is good in terms of food. Paul is referring to those things that are edible, those things that are fit for human consumption, is good. He's not saying that non-edibles are good for your consumption. He is not saying that you should finish off that bowl of poison ivy stew or take another handful of hemlock. No, he's not saying that. He is saying that everything that God created for your nutrition, for the good of your body, for your appetite, ought to be received with gratitude and consumed. It should not be rejected as something sinful doesn't mean you should eat anything and everything, but everything that is designed for you to eat, which God has given for us to eat. Now, unfortunately, some people will look at this verse and say, well, everything is for my consumption because it's good. I, I could pass the bottle more so, pass the tequila. I can have some more of that and some more and some more. Or better yet, today, pass the reefer, roll another one up and pass it along. Why? Because God created it. It's a plant. I'm thankful. It must be good. No, that's not what the scriptures are saying. What the scriptures are saying is that everything that God created for your health and nutrition, the nutrition of your body, is good. Now, hemp does make for a good rope, and medicinal marijuana appears to be helping many people medicinally. But recreational marijuana does not fall into the category of healthy, nutritious intentions of God. Whenever we take what God has created as good, and we misappropriate it, it stops being good. It becomes bad. And mark my words, I think we are going to have a generation of glassy-eyed, permanent IQ loss, depressed, anxious, suicidal people as our hot dog trucks are being replaced by the Bud Bus. What a shame that is. And for some reason, it's okay. Verse 5, look at verse 5. It says... For it is made holy. It is good. Why? Because it is made holy. Uh, made holy is referring to the idea that it, is, it has been separated. It has been separated as something that is beneficial against those things that are not beneficial. It's not talking about it being sanctified and now it is a spiritually enhanced food for your soul. No, it's simply saying that it has been made holy. It's no longer deemed bad. It's good. Separated from those things that are not good. And how is it that it has been deemed good? By the word of God. You mean the scriptures? No, not necessarily. Simply by the fact that God said it is good. God said it is good. Therefore, you can consume it. You do not have to say, oh, no, not me. I don't eat shrimp. I don't eat pork. If you don't want to, that's up to you. But understand this, before God, you're certainly allowed to. You're certainly permitted to. If you don't, you won't be more spiritual. You might be healthier. I don't know. But God said, it is good. God declared it so. And through prayer. It is made holy by the word of God and prayer. Now, we're not saying here that we can make a bowl of food, a plate of food, good when we pray over it. Now, I've ate many a dinners, which I prayed very hard, and after I said amen, it was not any better. It's not what the text is saying here. It is saying that what God has blessed us with in terms of food for our stomachs he has said, these things are good for you. And if you receive it in prayer, if you, in other words, have the sense of, Lord, I'm thankful for what you've given me, and I am dependent on you to give to me, then it is made holy. It is made holy. And then it's for my benefit. In short, eat what God has created, Eat what God has provided for your health and your nutrition. Do so according to what God's word says, and do so with a sense of gratitude to God and his provision. Prayerfully depending on him, because he's the one that watches over us. There's no need for us to make rules that are not in the scriptures. Enjoy what God's blessed you with. History gives us various examples of people who decided that they were going to take it upon themselves to go beyond what God required. I think of Simon Stelidis back in the 400s in Turkey. This man lived on a pillar 50 feet in the air on a one square yard platform that he built and he lived there for the duration of his life because he wanted a more ascetic life without the clamors of the world around him there he sat day after day he would lower a basket and children would fill it and he would bring it back up and that was his food tied a rope around his ankle so that he would in case he rolled over in bed would not fall to the bottom his skin actually grew around the rope Martin Luther, prior to his conversion, prior to his conversion, punished himself for his sins by sleeping on a cold dank stone floor night after night, figuring I need to do penance, I need to suffer in order to become holier. Another man stood at night all night long on a rugged cliff, so that it would be impossible for him to fall asleep. And another ate salt on a midsummer day and then refused to drink water in order to be able to say, look, how disciplined I am, how self-denying I am, I must be closer to God. And I would imagine that our idea of comfort and self-preservation says, oh, I could never do something like that. But in some cases, our hearts will say, Oh, what devotion. Oh, what self denial. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says, Oh, what tragedy. What false and dangerous teachings. This, my friends, is not piety. This is not what God would have of you. These, my friends, are false positives. Our salvation begins with Christ and it ends with Christ. We do not have to practice self denial in order to gain salvation. In order to be righteous before God, we need to place our faith in Christ. Salvation is granted to those who repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then the person who is truly redeemed goes out and lives a life in regard to their faith in Christ. A life of obedience to Christ. Not in order to be saved or to become pious, but because they love the Savior who saves them. Because they want to honor the one who redeemed them. A life of obedience. Well, what we see here in Timothy's church, in his era, people were very much inclined to become legalistic. They would draw up a list of all the things that cannot be done by the Christian, one thing after the other. And once that list was compiled, they added more laws and more rules, rules upon rules. We call that legalism. Now, in the modern American church, legalism is not so prevalent as it used to be. What we have today is quite the opposite. What we have are libertines. Uh, Christians are not so much more uh, so inclined to de- uh, to add to God's laws, but, but rather they are more inclined to deny God's laws. We're not so much inclined to add to what God expects of us, but to reduce what God expects of us. That seems to be the trend in the church today. We are more likely to indulge ourselves instead of deny ourselves. And whereas at one point... Christians added to the laws of God, today they ignore the laws of God, and this, my friends, is an abuse of the grace of God. Let me say this as I close. Beware, because uh, the same demonic powers that are behind the restrictions of legalism, they are also there, the same demonic powers are behind the practice of unlicensed freedoms. Satan works either end of the spectrum. And he does so very astutely. Do not add to God's law, but neither should you subtract from God's laws. God does not need our further restrictions, but God does not allow us to ignore his limits. Both are essential. And the key to staying on track is this knowledge of the Bible, know what the Bible says and number two, believe in the clear truth. Be certain of what you believe know what you believe so that when someone comes and teaches otherwise you can say no that's not what the scripture says and that's why I don't believe it beware And let's make sure that in our church, we forever stick to solely what the scripture says. Sola Scriptura. The scripture alone.